As this episode airs, we should have all been gathered together in Minneapolis for the World Brewing Congress. You know, the best brewing conference on planet Earth? So good, it only happens once every four years, like the Olympics? Well, since the coronavirus ruined those plans, I've got a few episodes queued up to help us relive the 2019 Master Brewers Conference, which was also pretty awesome. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. This material is not the same as a fresh up material. In this instance, we have the bitterness coming from potentially four different categories of compounds. This week on the show, isn't it a shame to just throw out all of that spent hop slurry after dry hopping a tank? Our friend Olaf from Carlsberg sat down with me during last year's conference in Calgary to talk about brewing trials designed to put that hop slurry back to work. Hi, my name is Ola, and I'm with John Bryce. No, your brewery. Oh. Who you work for. <laughs> and that's also like, true, but... <laughs> I thought it was like I a radio show. I like that. Yeah, well, I'm with Carlsberg uh, in Copenhagen, Denmark. All right, cool. Yeah. We're here talking about your poster. Uh, first, you wanted to find out what was remaining in your spent hop slurry, Correct. which was recovered from dry hopping. Yeah. Let's hear about the bittering compounds that you found in that slurry. Yeah. I mean, um, this is something that's actually quite, quite interesting for me because I, um, I think it's something that some small craft breweries could uh, take a, a good look at. Um, and uh, this recovered so-called spent material um, was found to contain a significant amount of bittering potential. Um, some of the classes of compounds that we found included compounds such as the oxidized uh, derivatives of alpha acids, so the humulinones, for example. Um, what we know currently is that these contribute bitterness at about 6% that of uh, isoalpha acids. Um, so these were found to be present in the spent-up material. The second class of compounds that we found, surprisingly, uh, were the isoalpha acids. 
Um, and I think there's been some observation to, to corroborate this finding. Um, I mean, the way I interpret this finding is that it's very clear that when, as brewers, we had a lot of hops into the beer um, in order to extract oils from the hops. Um, they, the reaction is not a one-way reaction, it's a two-way reaction. Um, and in effect, we basically strip out IBUs and isoferases out of our bright beer, um, which are then retained uh, on the hop material. And when we then take the spent hop material out, we're of course then taking the isoferous acid compounds along with it. Um, in this particular case, we also found that most of the alpha acid compounds uh, that were present in the original hot material, they were well retained. Um, they, they, they were pretty much still, still there. Um, the, the way I look at this is that the, the amount of alpha acid that you have left in your spent up material compared to what you had at the start would uh, significantly be impacted by how you dry up. Um, for example, if you dry up at cold temperature, if you dry up at warm temperature, or for example, if you used any of the advanced dry hopping technologies such as the hop gun or, or, or whatever. Um, so uh, the key here is that, that that particular sort of dry hopping technique can impact on how much residual alpha acid you have left uh, to, to play with. By the way, how were you typically recovering this slurry? Were you just dumping it straight out of the cone or using a centrifuge or some other means? I mean, it, it depends. In this particular case, um, we basically just recover the spent up material um, and we keep it cold uh, effectively. Um, when you look at sort of byproducts from any industry, um, and if we specifically talk about brewing, um, I find that spent up materials are actually quite a robust byproduct to work with. Uh, they're very um, robust in that when you compare them to spent grain, uh, for example, spent grains would, would go off and you start to get quite high microbial load in, in only a couple of hours. Whereas when you think about some of the reasons why we use hop in the brewing industry, um, you can see why, for example, you would be able to leave your spent hop material in a cool place for, for a few uh, hours or days. Um, and, and it would be still in a relatively okay condition to, to use. Yeah. You ended up drying that slurry down. How was that done? So in this particular instance, we basically freeze-dried uh, the hot material. Um, of course, there are various ways and various technologies that can be applied to uh, dry. But we applied freeze-drying in this instance because we found it kind of like, uh, shall we say, the most gentle uh, way of kind of drying it down to allow us to be able to do a, a proper comparison. Um, and we were basically targeting a, a process of drying that would uh, prevent any sort of degradation or um, negatively impact the spent hop material. Okay. You already mentioned the, some of the bittering compounds that you found in the spent hops. Talk about the aroma compounds you found in the spent hops. Yeah, so this is quite interesting um, because effectively what we ended up doing was comparing the aroma profile of spent hop material to that of a normal hop. And um, in this particular instance, we found that the wet hop material was uh, very, very similar um, to uh, the normal hop, if, if you like. Um, what was also quite interesting was that in that, we were also able to pick out some compounds that were, you could say, yeast-derived. So that would obviously be coming from some of the residual beer that was kind of uh, present in the spent up material. When we had a look at the dried, 
uh, spent up, it, there wasn't really that much of a difference, uh, although we did find that some of the compounds uh, that were present in the, in the wet up material, they went there in the, in the dried material. Even though we tried our best to sort of, you know, uh, dry it in a very delicate manner, um, we were still kind of seeing evidences of sudden losses of, of key aroma compounds. Um, you actually found a higher concentration of some aroma compounds in the wet versus the dry, co- Correct, right? yeah. correct. That, that was really the case, yes. Yeah. Okay, um, you then set up four trial brews to evaluate brewing with the spent hops. Tell us about those trials. Yeah, so, I mean, the idea here was very simple. Um, when you talk about bitterness, uh, Personally, uh, I talk about bitterness in two dimensions. I talk about bitterness, uh, primarily intensity, but then we can talk about the quality uh, of the bitterness. In this instance, we just really wanted to see on on an intensity level what sort of bitterness uh, can you achieve with these sort of materials. So what we did was set up uh, four trials. The first one, we basically just used a a normal hot material, uh, Centennial was the variety. Uh, the second one, we, based on the quantification um, and the profiling of the spent-up material, we knew uh, the concentration of humulinones, isoafer acids, and the alpha acids. So we were able to use that to dose this trial beers to roughly the same IBU levels. So anyway, back to the different trials. The second trial basically consisted of pure spent up material as is as we collected it um, and that was added into the kettle for 60 minutes the third one consisted of exactly the same one as I described in the second trial but then in the last 15 minutes of the boil we added a small additional amount of uh, wet spent up material into, into the kettle and in the last trial we simply used the freeze dried material um, to, to get our uh, bitterness at 60 at, at 60, yes. So everything was a, a 60-minute kettle boil, yes. Okay. Coming up. For example, when you take tea, um, in some parts of the world, green tea uh, would be brewed initially in hot water, and that first brew would be discarded. And it's actually the subsequent extractions that are kind of kept. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, 
supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. Additional support provided by... Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. As you might imagine, there still aren't any opportunities to gather in person for district meetings, but that doesn't slow us down. After all, Master Brewers, which was formed in 1887, has survived more than one pandemic. Spring and summer have brought us numerous webinars and virtual district meetings, many of which can be replayed on demand. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open, with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details, or check the direct link in the show notes. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is scheduled for October 9th and 10th. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. The Master Brewers Podcast Working Group still needs representation from a few more districts. Look for details in the Master Brewers Communicator or go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group. Now back to the show. How did the analyses of these finished beers stack up? Um, I mean, we, we did several analyses. Primarily, we, we looked at the IBU, um, but the IBU, in this case, we determined based on uh, HPOC. Uh, so we did uh, HPOC analysis to quantify the relative amount of humulinones and isoafar acids primarily. So we calculated our IBUs based on those two. Uh, specific group of compounds and what was interesting uh, was that for starter we actually achieved relatively similar IBU levels Um, in the second trial uh, we found that the IBU was actually the least in that Uh, so that was the one that had just a 60 minute wet boil the one that had the highest IBU value was the third one which now, when you think about it, it's not really surprising because effectively, in that last 15-minute addition that we did, we were also introducing additional humulinones and additional isoafar acids into the beer. And when you think about it, these are relatively easily soluble in, 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 in wort and, 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 in, and in beer. So it's, it's really not, not very surprising that that was the one that was the most bitter of, of the different trials that we conducted. 
Um, in terms of the other parameters that we measured, there wasn't really anything that stood out particularly. Um, there were some slight uh, differences in pH, but it, nothing major. Um, we also had a look at the um, aroma composition of this uh, of this beers. I mean, in this particular instance, it was just a, a general sort of, you could say, ester profiling. So it wasn't really a targeted analysis for the, um, shall we say, hop-specific aroma compounds. Um, but from this analysis, what we found really was that the beer that had the sort of normal hop in it was um, basically the one that had the highest amount of esters. Um, and for me, I think that that's quite interesting because it kind of showed that um, yeah, for if we were thinking of applying a spent-up material to derive aroma uh, in, in beer, then there might be some sort of challenges there uh, because at the end of the day, this is a, a product that has been once used. Um, so, and, and, and of course, the, the other point is that for aroma, it's, it's such a, a delicate composition and it's such a delicate uh, part of beer that if you really wanted to use pent material in that manner, you would have to really make sure you have a consistent uh, hot material every time, which is almost impossible to achieve. However, when you think about it for bitterness, it's uh, a little more leeway there because effectively it's, it's more really about the intensity predominantly. You did see some other differences. The acid aldehyde was a little bit different and a little higher in, I think, one and two, right? Correct, yeah. And then also the linalool, I think, was high in, in B1. Do you, do you yeah. any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's simply just down to the fact that these compounds are the ones that, upon dry hopping, would have been easily extracted already into the, into the beer. Um, and in the fresh hop, they're still readily available and intact. So, yeah. Uh, you also ran these beers through a trained sensory panel. Any, take, any takeaways there? So... I mean, what I found very curious um, really was that, um, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier about bitterness and we can talk about bitterness, we can talk about intensity, we can also talk about quality. And on the quality aspect, um, I think what we could see really was that there were different bitterness quality characters to these beers. Um, and, and it was almost like uh, the beer that has... Uh, the beer that was made with uh, this metal material had a sort of different, in, uh, different quality of bitterness to it compared to the one that had um, the fresh or normal hop uh, go into it. Um, that is something that we're going to have to look at very carefully uh, in, in a, a little bit more detail. I, I don't think it's particularly a big issue um, depending on how this metal material has been uh, applied, um, you know, what sort of IBU range, what sort of beer style are you talking um, but yeah I think that is something that's quite curious um, I mean sort of well, one way to also look at it would be for example when you take tea um, in some parts of the world green tea uh, would be brewed initially in hot water and that first brew would be discarded and it's actually the subsequent extractions that are kind of kept. I didn't know that. Yeah um, so and when you, when you look at it in that sense, you can almost kind of see some merits to the idea of um, investigating a little bit further this idea of um, different flavors or different bitterness qualities from uh, spent-up material relative to a, a fresh-up material. Do you want to talk about uh, which ones had the overall highest flavor intensity? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, from the study, what was very clear uh, was that the bitterness of the beer that was made with uh, a normal hop was quite quite prominent. Um, that that was quite quite obvious, and you also had that beer coming out as the most hoppy of of the lot. Um, what was also quite interesting then was when we compared uh, the second trial, which had just a 60-minute addition, um, and the the third one, which had the 60-minute addition and then the last 15-minute addition. It was quite clear that that additional addition in the 15 minutes had a, a quite a, a significant impact uh, on how that beer was perceived on the sensorial level. Um, so, for example, that beer was perceived to be more hoppy compared to the one that had just the 60-minute addition. Whereas the other one had higher BU, had higher measured IBUs. Correct, right? exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, why do you think that uh, why do you think that B3 was close to B1, whereas the others were much further off? I mean, I, I can only put that really to, to the last 15-minute addition. Because um, when you compare, I mean, the B2 and the B3 beers, the only difference there was that extra addition in the last 15 minutes. Um, so I, I, would, I would put it down to that, uh, simply. And, and B4... Um, I think you would have to say that as much as we tried with the drying, it was still quite obvious that some of those extra compounds that were maybe stripped out in the process of drying um, basically meant that they were, it was a little bit dissimilar to, to the rest of the beers. Um, I mean, it could also be that, for example, uh, the water-soluble uh, compounds, for example, those that were derived from the, um, you could say, yeast that would have been present in the wet, spent-up material, would not be present in the in the dried material because this would have been stripped out during the drying process, um, and it could well just be that uh, that impact is already obvious on the on the sensorial level. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Some of the, some of these beers were different, but none of them had major off flavors or, no. or negative qualities, right? No. Not, nothing at all was actually observed uh, uh, on, on that side, no. So what's next? Are you ready to start incorporating some spent hops in the brew house or not quite yet? Um, I mean, I, I can't really uh, talk uh, for Carlsberg uh, as a company. Um, but, I mean, the idea here really was that for craft brewers in general, um, it's, it's really, from, from my perspective, it's, it's for them to have a look at what they do in a brew house, uh, specifically in terms of dry hopping and how to dry hop, uh, the level of dry hopping, and if they want to dry up on such a high level, um, maybe potentially consider, um, you know, reapplying some of the spent hop material. Um. Any tips for storing wet spent hop slurry before you're ready to use it in the brew house? Um, I mean... I found that it's it's okay just to keep it cold uh, for, for a few days. It's it's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of reusing spent up material, I have to say that one of the key challenges would be really to try and understand the complexity of the material. Um, this material is not the same as a fresh up material. Um, so uh, when you're trying to reapply it. If you were, for example, to apply it as you would a normal hop, and then you try to walk back from your IBUs, 
that you achieve in the beer, based on a normal calculation, you will find that you derive or arrive at a position where you get alpha acid levels that don't make sense. Um, and that's because those methods are specific for fresh hop material and the calculations are based on your bitterness coming solely from alpha acids. In this instance, we have your bitterness coming from potentially four different categories of compounds. Um, we've got the humulinones, you've got uh, isoalpha acids, you've got the alpha acids, and I'm, I'm convinced that there would probably also be some other um, oxidized compounds in there that could be contributing to, to, to bitterness in terms of the intensity and the quality, which we're yet to understand uh, or figure out. So, um, so I think, yeah, my advice really would be for, for uh, anyone who will consider doing this not to treat the material just as a, as a normal hot material, both in terms of calculation and in terms of uh, dosage. That was Ola Uladakum here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to learn more about these trials, check out the poster Ola presented in Calgary. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of Ola's poster, along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a direct link. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open, with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details, or check the direct link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. (laughs) 